0: Welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the actions others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to BrianBeers.com to subscribe. Everyone, I'm excited today to bring you Mike Flattery. Mike is the founder and managing partner of a private equity real estate fund that manages over 1.3 billion with a B properties under management. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey,
1: thanks, Brian. It's an honor to be here and uh, looking forward to going through some stuff with you.
0: Awesome. So can you take us back to uh, whenever you started, maybe kind of the beginnings of your career to kind of lay the groundwork of how we kind of got to where we're at today? Yeah,
1: it's a good question and a in a in a long story. Uh in a in a long road with lots of rights and lefts and and changes and ups and downs and failures successes along along the way. Um and I'll start from the beginning and you you know, you take me wherever wherever you want. But uh I, I have always been a real estate guy. Um I remember in high school seeing land and having my father pull over in the in the car and asking him, "Hey, what could I do here?" You know, I always hmm. had this ability to or the not ability, interest to envision uh construction and development on certain properties. I just didn't know how to do it. Hmm. Um my grandfather was a builder, helped me make things as a kid, hmm. and I really thought To some extent, I wanted to go down that path. It took me into civil engineering as a a college degree at Villanova University in in your hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, started in the civil engineering world designing, entitling, mostly commercial projects for the likes of McDonald's, Exxon Mobil, you know, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Walmart, you name it, and it was just a really phenomenal experience in the business.
0: So you go to college for that civil engineering, then you get this job, a corporate job, working on these big projects, like right after college. Yeah, no doubt so about these it. Big and, 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 Fortune one hundred companies, like. Yep, yep. Okay.
1: Exactly. And as an example, like I was responsible for getting the. Uh, securing the, the not only like the design of the properties, but the approvals through planning commission, zoning hearing boards, city
0: councils. Oh, so you were taking this, or, you were taking this ball to like the end zone, like getting the whole thing ready from design to then approved to then, like, I guess the architecture is then going off and building the building. Correct.
1: And, okay. and securing building permits and then turning it over. I did a lot of work for McDonald's as an example um and we were a you know a third party consultant for mcdonald's we'd do all this work get it approved hand over building permits and let them yeah build. Off and, and, and build i did it. that for mcdonald's likes of mcdonald's and many others in my early 20s when i really didn't know what i was doing it was kind of baptism by fire and probably did gosh upwards of 200 plus projects over a short period of time, mostly in the mid-Atlantic, Brian, from yeah. Washington, D.C. up to you know New-, New York, New Jersey area. Okay.
0: Yeah, sure. The 95 corridor there. So then what, uh, what happened after and,
1: that? I thought I wanted to do commercial real estate. Okay. And I learned after a couple years of battling angry neighborhood groups and uh, challenging city councils that this wasn't exactly uh, uh, a lot of fun. So I went into uh, residential, which is what I really thought I wanted to do. Um, and I worked for Toll Brothers, uh, yep. one of the largest national luxury home builders in the country, also out of the great city of Philadelphia, as you know well, and uh, managed a number of very large master plan communities outside of Philadelphia. Uh, one of which won Community of the uh, of the Year in Chester County, called Euclid Woods uh gosh it takes me back a long ways and uh did that for a couple years and realized hey this wasn't really what I wanted to do either uh dealing with potential homeowners all weekend and were unhappy with their staircase one week after moving in uh was was uh, was not for everyone but it was something i always wanted to do and i learned a ton Yep. Uh, that's another phenomenal company for getting, you know, what people call your masters in residential mm-hmm. real estate development, you know, surviving Toll Brothers for two years. And then I wanted to go back to commercial. Um, I worked in New York City for at the time was with the third largest uh, fee development and construction company called Bovis Lend Lease. It was a global conglomeration between Bovis, uh, large project management construction company out of London and Len Lease, one of the world's largest REITs out of Australia. And we had a global alliance with British Petroleum. So we were doing all of BP's construction, entitlement, development, uh, internationally. And I was tasked for running that out of New York City. Um
0: the whole and team I enjoyed like, that. Inter- internationally. Correct. Okay. And building like the gas stations or building like the pipeline, like like the infrastructure good, side of it.
1: Good question. It was considered downstream work, which is retail. So okay. the gas stations, the convenience stores, uh I I helped them roll out the first re, uh retail designed hydrogen fueling facility uh at LAX in Los Angeles. Um so that was that was a phenomenal experience. And BP bought Arco Oil on the West Coast. I transferred or moved out from New York City to the sunny and beautiful beaches of Southern California and, and did the same for Arco out there, managing their uh development from Seattle down to San Diego.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And, and all the all the while I really wanted to learn how to go out and do it on my own, Brian. Um, yeah. you know, I was garnering all this great experience and building a track record. In hopes that at some point in time, I would become my own, uh, or have my own entrepreneurial spirit and startup. And I was doing a little bit of everything, or had done a little bit of everything because I wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, also, while I had the job with uh, the BP Global Alliance, Bovis Lend Lease. Uh, I was taking my dollars and saving my dollars and investing in personal real estate. So I was buying single-family homes across the country, buying small duplexes, fourplexes, and, and getting my feet wet, essentially, and learning how to get it done on my own. Um, all while I was trying to figure out what did I really want to do and, and how to make money. I knew how to build and design and develop didn't yeah. necessarily know how to make money doing it. Uh, that led me to want to get my MBA. So I applied for my MBA at USC and UCLA. I ended up going to USC while I still had a job and we're um, working developing Arcos, gas stations, convenience stores on the West Coast and had met you know some really successful real estate guys at, U- at USC. There's a plethora of them. And uh, two of them in particular took me under my wing and basically said, "Hey, Mike, you know you're you're ready to jump. Um, you know you're you're not going to learn much more. It's time to jump and, and do this on your own." So I did that. In I was I was halfway through getting my MBA at USC. I did this probably 2015.
0: Okay. Uh, how- partnered. What's yeah. that? And so you got the job, and they're saying, "Hey, quit your job, go full time to real estate." Yeah. And it's what I always wanted to do. Right. Yep. yep. Yeah. That's where your passion lies. I saved up
1: some money. I bought all these little single family homes and duplexes and, and triplexes, and fourplexes. And I, and you know, my my plan was that, hey, all the cash flow that I'm generating over here will help support my entrepreneurial startup over here. Yeah. But fortunately, that didn't work out when 2008 hit. Um, but I did jump. I partnered with, um, some really bright investment bankers out of Southern California. We did some development in New York City, um, Southern California, uh, Los Angeles, San Diego area. And I, and I was on my own. I partnered with Thomas Shues, who's a famous interior designer uh, out of West Hollywood. We were flying around on helicopters and landing on deserted beaches and in Costa Rica and Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. Uh, looking to build boutique uh, hotels or, or condo hotels. And then 2000, 2008 hit, right? Lehman Brothers failed on, what, September 17th? I almost remember the date of that year. Uh, I had an office condo project uh, that was pretty much beachfront in Hermosa Beach, and we lost financing. Um, we were supposed to start October 1st, 2008. And, and then the recession and, every, and all the, the lending, the bang started yep. the, the end of that yep. run started two weeks before we were supposed to start construction. And, uh, and I had to figure out what to do next, Brian, to be honest with you.
0: So that's 08. And so how did you find these partners? So, in, in what in your role, I guess was the design, the civil engineering, all the stuff you were good at. They were probably good at what raising money, and then you had the design guy, and then that's kind of how you assembled that this first team was assembled. Correct, correct. Uh, my niche was really entitlements
1: and and getting challenging projects approved, to as zoning, I mentioned, to rezone. Through.
0: But to approved. re entitlements, just to rezone something, right? Correct. To change the in, in To it.
1: secure all the approvals. Um, you know, to design it, to get the community involved, and to build it. And usually in a municipality, you're, you're getting approvals from a planning commission board. And then if you can secure that vote of approval, you'll move forward to mm-hmm. a city council level or county council board of supervisors type approval. And then you have the planning approvals, the use approvals, to move forward and build your uh and secure your building permits to start construction
0: yep and it seems like it's probably a highly valuable skill because there's probably all these intricacies that these guys don't know maybe they're good at raising money or they're good at construction but like if they don't get the plot of land for the right use that's nothing they can do right and uh i'm sure that's probably your your skill set right And, and shining uh value that you're bringing It sounds like
1: because because you can't you can't count it for granted, right? There are some locations, municipalities, states where, you know, you can stick a shovel in the ground tomorrow and no
0: one will stop you. But that's rare. Um, And the good properties, the beachfront property, or like the stuff that's probably you really want to, that has the highest value add is probably needs this process. Is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's challenging. You know, I rarely invest outside of my business in multifamily, but I actually recently invested in a, um, you know, a sexy Kelly Slater surf park residential development in Palm Springs and La Quinta. And, uh, I wasn't involved with it at all, but, but the project got outright denied. Um, and, you know, those guys are going to, going to have to figure out. How to exit or sell that land to someone else because that project did not get approved. Mm. So projects don't always get approved as they're initially proposed.
0: Yeah. So it's '08. You're you're down down on your your luck there. Then what uh, what happens next? How you start to rebuild this thing?
1: Well, you know, as Warren Buffett says, you "Buy when there's blood in the streets." Right, and there is a lot of blood in 2008, 2009. It was, you know, as we call it, the closest thing to a, a real estate recession, it, almost everything failed. It didn't, didn't matter the, the, the asset type projects were going back to the bank. And, and I had done a little bit of everything, right? From single family homes to commercial to retail to buying some of my own properties to wanting to go out on my own. And I really saw it as a phenomenal opportunity. So I spent the time really researching what was next, right? What was the next smart contrarian investment in real estate? And I wanted to build a, a sustainable real estate model, which those two words don't always go hand in hand when it comes to yep. real estate. Yep. Uh, a lot of people laugh at me when I said that. Um, But I found multifamily and in the security and risk adversity that, Comes with multifamily, and as much as you know, the Great Recession was a real estate recession. Most people don't know this. You know, the percentage of apartments that went back to the bank was something like 0.3 to point four, point five percent. They simply were not the type of real estate that went back to the bank. And and in looking back, we've seen that right. So I started buying apartments in two thousand nine that were. 99 to 100% occupied. And I had sellers that were in a lot of distress somewhere else. Maybe they were in development. Maybe they owned condos in uh, South Florida or Southern California. And their distress was forcing them to sell their really cash cow apartments at a discount. Um, and that was really the beginning of buying apartments. Now coming out of development, I, Brian, I had lost pretty much everything. Uh, you know, I, I was newly married, had a baby on the way mm. and I had put everything into my development business. And when that project didn't, uh, you know, didn't kick off and start construction, I essentially lost everything. I remember looking at my bank account and seeing a little over $1,700. And, and really just digging in and trying to figure out what was next. So it, it was this, it was a scary, crazy time. Um, and, and, and then I really just started buying smart, well located apartments at the bottom of the recession and doing, you know, one good deal a year, you know, and good deals are really hard to find. I always say you have to look at a hundred deals to dig in on 50 to maybe write 20 offers to maybe be competitive on five to get one really good deal for you and your investors. And, yeah. you know, people often, you know, ask, Hey, how did, how did you, you know, what, what's the secret sauce, right? The silver lining. How did you build a right hundred?
0: You know, look it up, do a hundred deals. Yeah. 7,000
1: units and a billion plus. It's, you know, it's, it's looking at a lot of opportunities. It's, it's. It's uh, doing, as I said, really one good deal a year, uh, one smart deal for your investors and taking care of them first and delivering to them first, uh, where they spread the word. And not only do they want to invest in the next deal, right, they often will bring two or three of their friends. Yep. And, and, of course, building the right team. I've had a phenomenal partner. Uh, yeah, I've had phenomenal teammates. That have been with me for 10 plus years and, and we've yeah. built this together.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So I want to go back to, so you had 1700 hours in the bank account, right? And then I mean, walk me through like, I don't know. A lot of people will be like, Oh, well, I'm going to, I got to go get a job, right? Like, and, and you're sounds like you have this approach of I, I need to go buy a building and. So I guess talk to me. How do, you, how do you how do you finance that? I mean, did you bring in partners? Like t- talk to me come some of the specifics on on how you kind of got from that moment to to closing that first deal.
1: And it was really hard not to go back and get a job, Brian. Right? Oh, I, had, I
0: would imagine. Yeah, it was I had an MBA.
1: Yeah. I had an MBA. I know I could go back and get a good, you know, probably high paying job at that time. Yeah. I just I had caught the entrepreneurial bug, right? uh our, you know in in, in in don't get me wrong i had the resume all ready to to fire it out to some groups i was looking at that you know i remember my mom telling me i should become a bartender in the evenings to bring some money in yeah uh, i remember telling my father that i was unemployable and and he he did not like that and you know what i meant by unemployable was hey i i was determined to do this on my own you know i didn't know that i could go back i didn't think I wanted to, I, I knew I did not want to go back and work for someone else. Yep. So yep. As ugly as it was, I wanted to to really blaze, you know, blaze my own path.
0: Yeah. I hear that. I mean, that's a similar story I, I hear from other guys who, you know, they're, they're, they have really good high paying W2 jobs, you know, in corporate America and they want to go start their own business, right? So they're kind of on the opposite side. They want to like transition in. And one of the like, I don't know. And I've never been there, right? I've kind of always been on, on just in my family business and growing it. But like for them, they're very employable people. Like if it, if the business doesn't work out, like they have all these connections and network and a great resume. And like, so it's like the, the worst thing that's happens is they have to go get a job again, right? Where the best thing that's happens is now yeah. they, they own this business and they can grow it and scale it and make it as big as they wanted. I mean, a billion dollars under management, right? Like it's kind of this, this you weigh the risk reward. And when you really break it down, like you're not going to, most people aren't going to end up on the streets. Like they're not going to like, you know, you know, whatever. Like these worst case scenarios that are in our mind for most people, like they're they're very employable people and can easily get a job if they wanted to. And they may hate it and they may want to get back into the the race again, but it's like, I don't know. It's it's the risk reward ratio for sometimes it's the risk could or the rewards can weigh, you know, be way better than the risk that it takes. So I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like you had pretty much the same thing just on the opposite side of hey, I could go do this. Right. Cause you were that guy, but decided instead of going back, like, let me, let me give this thing one more shot. Is that,
1: I think, you know, I think it's time and place. I remember going to seminars and reading books, and you, you know, everyone has a rags to riches, you know, story from failure to success. And I remember rolling my eyes at that, going, gosh, that's, that's not going to be me. That's, that's, you know, those are yeah. fairy tales. Right. And, and sure enough, it's a big part of my success, right? The, you know, the biggest failure is essentially the biggest success. Yeah. You know, I look back at losing everything and look back at that recession and go, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, you, don't you, know, yeah. you don't, you don't wish anyone to go through that period of time. Uh, I didn't really, it's funny. I don't remember a lot of the, the stress that I'm sure, uh, I went through. Oh yeah. Um, and as I said, you don't, want, you, you don't want to put anyone in that position, but often when you're put in that position, you know, the sink or swim,
0: folks are going to swim, right? I heard a great quote. It's from this author, Steve Sims. It's this book called Blue Fishing. Um, I got him coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks. But he has this, this quote from his book and it says, you don't drown by by falling in the water. Like you drown by staying in the water. And you know you ah. fall in and like you know you have your your failures and your challenges but like it's the ones who stay there and dwell on it versus the ones that move forward and get out. And so yeah. um, I mean it's exact, and, and exactly. You know, that's yeah. po- a
1: positive attitude, right? Belief in yourself. Like simple things our parents have been telling us since we were babies. Yep. But it is so true, right? I, you know, I, I was blessed to have a wonderful upbringing and uh you know two parents who who were married and always there for me. And, and, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. I'm sure it did. But, but I was one of these guys where I always, if I jumped off the cliff, I always knew I was going to land on my feet. Yep. Right. That, that was just always me. And even if I jumped and landed on my head, you know, I knew somehow, some way I was going to learn from it and end up back on my feet. That, that's always been my mentality where I, I kind of, uh, not you know, thrive in the in the downturns uh and thrive in the negative, but I've been around long enough, Brian, to realize it normally puts me in a really good spot
0: coming out. Yeah. yeah. That's great advice. And I think I've I've learned the same over the last few years is that like every challenge or or quote failure is really just a learning opportunity. Like you learned what didn't work. Like you learned what you shouldn't do. You learned the type of deals you should invest in or the people you should partner with There. The business models, or whatever it is, right? And I think if someone goes at about that approach of, you know, what did I learn from the situation, and how can this improve my life, this is the same exact scenario to to someone else who then just you know, they dwell on it, they stay in the water, and woe is me and the victim and all that stuff. It's uh, a, yeah. yeah. it's a differentiator, right, between the successful people like like yourself and the thousands of other people who are in the exact same scenario as you and chose a different path. So. It's, it's it's great. So let's get back to I, want to. I want to hear about the story though. So you got the first deal. Like, how'd you finance it? How'd you? I mean, you found it. or It sounds like. Did you have partners and friends? Oh, like,
1: I, I, yeah. It's funny. I didn't even find my first deal. So um, I was on, gosh, a, a website where folks were posting opportunities, okay. and like, a bear like of
0: Pockets or whatever it was.
1: Exactly. Very okay. similar to that at the time. And there was an opportunity and I give the gentleman credit because he, I could tell he thought like me and, and I'm an engineer by trade, very yeah. black and white. I like to, like to dot my I's, cross my T's. You know, I'm not crazy aggressive. I don't move super fast, but this gentleman had laid it out. He had a deal under contract. Here are the high points, the pros and cons. It was a, it was an 80 unit property called Chase Apartments. Uh, it's probably still there in Odessa, Texas. Okay. And the returns look realistic. And I reached out to him. He had it under contract. Uh, he was getting ready to go non refundable hard with how some much dollars. Was I was nervous. Do you remember, do you remember how Ryan? much
0: it, do you remember how much it was?
1: It wasn't, well, it was back then, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. remember how much it was. Maybe it was a hundred, it was a hundred. Let's say it's called a hundred thousand dollars plus or minus. Oh, wow. And that, like, he, for 80
0: units? Occupied?
1: For, for 80 units, occupied. Yep. Okay. And it was at a nine cap. Okay. Uh, so those of you who have been following cap rates over the last 10 yeah, years, yeah. we buy eight, nine caps back then. But this is Odessa, Odessa, Texas, right? So it's a tertiary market.
0: All right. So it's like, whatever it is, 80 units, this guy's got this thing posted. He found the deal. He's got it under contract. And then then what
1: he raising capital right? I was looking for my own deals yeah uh, I wasn't looking the partner but I like I like the metrics I like the story the, the story of the deal mismanaged property well located right across the street from UT Odessa campus yeah, okay right next to the mall walking distance to the movies B class building the 80s through.
0: Yeah, so checking all the boxes
1: Two bedroom, two bath units in unit washer dryers. It checked all my boxes, which is which okay. is very hard. And you and the so guy
0: like them. click because you're both like you know engineers. Into the, yeah, right. And then uh, and he he
1: needed help raising capital, so he had raised. I think we needed a, a million five plus or minus. And he said, "Hey, I've raised half. Can you raise you know the second half?" And I said, "Sure, let's do it." So we went in, and I remember it was about four days before we had to wire in a rate lock another non-refundable deposit of about eighty thousand and he calls me and says hey Mike you know that seven hundred fifty thousand I thought I had raised I only have two hundred thousand <laughs> and now my money is hard alongside of his right yeah, yeah so yep. I remember that four or five day period being pretty stressed out I had raised my you know seven hundred fifty thousand. And he had gone backwards, right? Yeah.
0: So now you need another 500
1: 550. We needed another five, five fifty in four days, or this deal was going to go sideways, or we were going to potentially lose our deposits. And we were able to make it happen. I had some investors step up. I had a relationship with another gentleman that had success raising capital. And uh, you know, he 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 has now been my partner for 13 years. Uh, but he hopped on a plane, you know, he, he flew out and in four days we resurrected this thing. He put some money in, brought some of his investors. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and, and got a great deal closed. And then, you know, as I said, back, you know, this is the business of, of volume. You have to look. We're not in the, bu- the retail business of buying value add multifamily apartments. You have to look at a lot of deals. So the next deal didn't come till the next year. Uh, and it, but it was a big one. It was the 232 unit deal, Brian. It was right across the street from the first one. Oh I man, bought. perfect. And uh, and we were getting. Uh, I still have investors sending me the old distribution letters uh, because we were investors were getting 16 to 18 percent yield, cash on cash returns oh, wow. on these deals.
0: And were you making money on it, like enough to support your, you know, family? On this first one, for because you had a a year before you did anything, right? It's
1: a great, it's a great question, right? So you close your first apartment building; it's a five point two million dollar apartment building, and you want to celebrate, right? You get a little acquisition fee. You're investing in it. You've got happy investors who are getting great returns. You're getting, you know, you promote your share of the cash flow. But as a guy that had lost everything and was newly married with a, a baby and another one on the way at that time, you no, know, Brian, it did not create a, a level of comfort.
0: <laughs> That's what you I know? thought. Yeah. I That's congratulated what you
1: did. myself for about, you know, 30 minutes and then the stress level kicked in. Um, but, it, but you do go through that, right? You close your yeah. first deal and you're like, okay, I figured it out. I have got it. I made it. It's not the case. Yeah. Uh. You need to keep that drive for years and years and years. Right. The the uh, the, the the success comes from doing it yeah. over and over and over again.
0: So then but fast. Yeah, well, so that was 09, o- of- Right. O- 09, what When you bought this one.
1: 09, It was the summer of oh nine. Okay. I think August of oh nine was the first deal. Next year. Next year was about twelve months later.
0: Okay. And then so. It probably looked like something from that point to today is, is some sort of exponential graph I'm, I'm assuming where it's kind of starts slow. you do one and one, but then then you start trading up and doing bigger and bigger deals.
1: Yeah, cor- correct. I think for the first three years, I just did one deal a year, and then maybe it was two deals a year and then three deals a year and then two deals a year and then four deals a year and then five deals a year. Last year we did seven de- you know seven deals. Yep. So it, there is that exponential and, growth, but it comes, as I said, from doing, you know, uh being very picky, patient, and prudent about our investments and delivering to investors.
0: And then what's the strategy? Is it to to is it a lot of these the, the five to seven-year-old or year plans where you're buying, you add value and then you sell it? Or is it kind of the buy, hold, refinance? Cash flow like I know there's different theories on it, like what's your approach, or does it vary per property?
1: We've done a little bit of everything, and over the last couple of years, it's varied per property, where we've done some 10-year holds and we've done some heavy value value adds, three-year holds. Um, but I really believe that apartments are about long-term holds and long-term wealth. So I prefer the seven to ten-year holds, which is traditionally what we've done. Still heavy value add where we're generating all the appreciation and all the value oh, in the two to four years. right? Okay. We're investing three to six million into improving the interiors of the apartments and spicing up the amenities and paying fixtures and, and, yep. and eliminating deferred maintenance and rebranding the property with new signage. This first three, four years is where you create all the value growth and appreciation. Um, so we always have two exit strategies. One is to sell at that point in time, yep. once we're done value add. Uh, and or two is to hold on long term and reap the benefits of all that work from a cash flow and tax advantage standpoint. And we often will refinance in years three, four, five to pull some of that equity
0: out so. 50
1: to 80 percent or a hundred percent of the investors' capital back. Uh And then their return is infinite, right? And then we'll hold on to that property long-term for cash flow. Um, That's my preferred hold strategy because, you know, lock in at a great fixed rate, uh, whether it's high or whether it's low. But over 10 years, you rise through the hurdles, the ups and downs. You typically better generate uh, or benefit from tremendous rent growth. Yeah. And tax advantages, and over ten years, you're you're typically you you you're ready to refinance, return everyone's capital back, and, and yeah. hold on to a really good asset uh, for cash flow.
0: So on a, on a personal level, for for you, do you like obviously you invest in all your deals? Are there other like buildings that you're buying like just on your own that you're going to hold forever, or like do you just have a plan of once you're kind of hang up hang up the hat, you you'll just deploy your capital with other guys doing a similar business plan, or what what does all that look like from like your perspective? It's funny, Brian,
1: I get that question a lot. And and it's one, I know the answer to it, It's it's been pretty, I think it's different from what most people expect, but I don't really look at deals as something I would want to buy on my own. Um, you know, we have a very loyal following of investors. Most of our investors have been with me for, you know, they're in eight to, they're in eight to 20 deals, Brian. Oh, wow. Right? Them and their family have been investing with me and my partner for 5 to 10 years, right? And they've had a great experience, so they keep coming back, right? Yep. They're diversifying their wealth, their their dollars into our investments. So I have this uh loyalty, right, to those who got me here. And I'm very close with them um, and vice versa. You know, we often c- we communicate through thick and thin with our investors. So when I find a good deal, i really maybe just cuz i've been doing it for so long this way brian but i want to do it with investors okay and, and you know the men and women hey. who have trusted us through the years um you know yeah, the going size forward.
0: and scale like it makes sense to to wrap a big deal into your big company versus like you doing some small thing that you have to like directly manage and i, I don't know for for me that would make sense too to just just part of the company right and then you, I had and a then broker this week deals. call
1: me with a small 12-unit deal. Uh we bought two deals from him in the past, so we have that trusted track record yeah. with him, right? Uh seller was a little distressed, needed a quick sale, and he said, Hey, you know, I I know who can buy this, you know, really easy. Yes. And, and I think it would have been a great buy. But you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta kick yourself and remind yourself hey, what, what got us here was, was buying you know 80 to 500 unit size deals where you get great economies of scale, great management, great leasing, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes the smaller deals, Brian, through the years, at least for me personally, uh, can create some headaches. There's a little bit more risk. You don't yeah. get as great management. And they can be as much time, if not more, and you were alluding to it, than no, a 400 it. unit property.
0: Yep, I've done it with the, the one off. This for me, it's the single family home or whatever it is, and just becomes yeah, yeah. more of a And I tell outlet. this
1: story all all the time. A lot of people start there. I started there, yeah. right? And and a lot of my investors, you know, still do that yeah. and diversify. And many of them learn the same lesson that I did is with managing assets, especially small asset. It's a lot of work, yeah, right? Whether a job, you're doing it's a it yourself,
0: job. like it's not really an investment. It's kind of like a job, and but. But it's like a great learning experience. You get your feet wet with yes. it, and then you then you graduate, right? I mean, that's yep. that's okay. Like it doesn't, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Or, or you stay there. And, and if, and if hey, you're you, dealing
1: with a management company, right? And you might have a mom and pop management company, it might be as you said, one single family home or one duplex, and you don't know, do they come by your property once a month, once a week, once a year, once a decade, right? I mean, there's a lot of risk in that. The larger properties, right, you have full-time staff of three to 10 people and, uh, their job, their full-time job, W2 job is to protect your investment. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and many of them live on the property and, you know, they're, they're incentivized to help your investment and in your, and your property perform on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. it's awesome. So my, my final question or second to final so, what do you, with all the economic stuff going on now, I'm sure you get this all the time, but like, what are, you, what are your thoughts on where the real estate market's heading, the economy, and like, what are you guys doing to protect yourself and the capital?
1: Yeah, it's a crazy time, right? Uh, we've been blessed with having done great deals, well performing deals, happy investors. And most of, of our portfolio is with low fixed trade debt. So we're in a great position. So you're fine you know,
0: Interest rates go to nine, ten percent. You know, uh, you lock it in what four or five years, or do you get longer than that? Period.
1: Well, t- we, traditionally, we, we'll, we've done seven to ten year fixed
0: rate debt. So a lot of your debt now is seven to ten. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I like that, our, so you, you can with I storm. Say, it doesn't even matter what the interest rates are, right? Because you you've got you got it locked. As long as people are paying rent, it's you know the performance should stay consistent.
1: And as I mentioned earlier with the 10 year horizon, you write, it gives you the ability to ride through these ups and downs. So when I first bought the, those two deals in Odessa, Texas in 09 and 2010, interest rates were five and a quarter to five and a half, not too far from where, off from where they are right now. Yep. Um, so the ability to buy a really smart, well managed asset with good debt and hold on to it. Um, so, so what's the opportunity
0: that I guess you're looking out for that other people should be aware of. I would imagine it's these guys who have floating rate debts, and the yeah. the thing becomes upside down pretty quickly. Is that is that what you're on the lookout for I, now? I
1: think it's I think it's two things. So what are we? You know, I always say we're picky, patient, and prudent, but we especially are right now. You know, we're kind of waiting in the wings to buy two things: one, higher cap rate deals, uh, and and positive leverage deals, Me- meaning you've got a good delta between the cap rate and the interest rate, right? Over the last couple of years, many of yes, us in our industry stands. have been buying negative leverage deals, right? Uh, With cap rates dropping below where interest rates have been. So I, I find this as a great opportunity, period of opportunity to start buying at some higher, buying some great well-located uh, higher cap rate deals. And then number two, to your point, Brian, I think there will be some distress um, you know, there's a lot of our competitors that have been buying with variable rate loans, and uh, some of them will do just fine. Uh, some of them, if they didn't buy interest rate cap, we did four, four we did five inch, uh, variable rate loans over the last 12 months. Um, But we bought a 1% interest rate cap mm. that essentially fixes our interest rate on any given deal between like 3.7 and 4.2%. So we've protected ourselves, but there's a lot of groups that haven't. And I think we'll see some really good buying opportunities over the next few years, Brian.
0: Okay. And where do you see the company going? You got 1.3 now, like five years. What's it look like? Do you have a goal?
1: You know, I think I'm not the greatest goal setter, Brian, but I'm a deal junkie, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, I haven't changed much from the beginning. Um you know, it's, it's, it's doing one good deal a year, right? And, and if we have a year where we don't do a deal, you know, are we going to be okay with that? Absolutely. Um, so it, it goes back to that, right? The ability to find and manage and raise capital for one good deal a year. And ideally, if we can do two to four deals a year, uh, for our investors, great. You know, my partner and I, we personally invest, uh, in each and every deal. So we're not out there, you know, Doing deals just to do deals. So yeah. if it's one great deal, you're great. If it's four or five, you know, fantastic.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So where can listeners connect if they like to learn more about you personally or the company or they're interested in, you know, looking at any of your deals? What is, uh, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. Happy to share. I'm pretty open book. I tell my investors, you know, text me in the middle of the night. I'll call you back in the morning. But website is l5invest.com. Brian, can you distribute my email or should I just share it here now?
0: Uh both. I can we can add to the show notes as well. Uh but yeah. Okay. We'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I
1: mean the uh the email is just Mike M-I-K-E at L5 Invest. Capital L is in Larry, the numeral five and the word invest.com. And uh my number is 310-991-3091. Call or text and Uh, If you have interest in partnership or investing, uh, or just want to learn more, you know, feel free to reach out to me.
0: Awesome, cool. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It's pretty, you know, inspiring. I think uh, you know, kind of the ups and downs, and kind of picking yourself off your feet, and really kind of building an awesome company, and adding a lot of value to investors and to your residents, and and just kind of building this really good community. So good, good job, and it's been uh, it's been awesome chatting with you.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. All right, I'll see you. I'll see you.
0: That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't.